Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Good morning, Oasis City. Let's go, let's go. Well, this is week two of Till Boise Looks Like Heaven, and we've been talking about some of our vision, who we're trying to reach, where we're going, and so I'm super glad that you're here today. Let me just start with reading our mission. Our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower, and then release people as fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Sometimes we shorten it down and just say, hey, we're here to, to know God and make him known. But that's our mission. And so let me, let me start with a story. You know, I've always been a business guy. I remember uh, being a little kid and just looking up to my dad like most kids do, right? And I'm looking up to my dad, and my dad, uh, during the recession, got laid off. And so, uh, you know, that's never fun. And so he gets laid off, gets a severance package, and he uses that severance package to start a business. Now, I've watched my dad at this point grow that business, and now he owns several businesses, five, six, seven different businesses. And I've watched him just be a serial entrepreneur, starting new things and getting ideas and building companies. And, and it was always so inspiring. So I remember being a kid and being like, I want to be like my dad. And we'd go downtown, and uh, he had an office that was in Fort Collins. And listen, we don't have, like, skyscrapers, all right? So it was, like, fourth floor. But, I mean, that was a big deal, okay? So it's, like, up on the fourth floor corner office, right? And he's right downtown the corner of the street. And it was so cool to go in there and just, you know, who loves going with your dad's office when you're a kid, right? It's just, it's cool, right? And so you're there. And I was like, I want to start a business. So I did what most kids do. I started mowing lawns, right? And so I started with my grandparents' lawn and made my first $20. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? And so then I started mowing other people's lawns. And, and I just kind of became this, like, little business guy, all right? And so I remember going to Mexico, asking my dad for a business loan. I said, hey, Dad, can I have $100? He's like, what do you need $100 for? I'm like, see all those fake Oakleys out there? I'm going to sell them to my junior high friends. And so I bought all these fake Oakleys, and I'm selling them to my junior high friends. I'm like, $30, pair of Oakleys, $30, pair of Oakleys, right? But I just was always a business guy, always trying to figure out ways where I could, you know, start a business, do something. So I'm reading business books. I love business classes. And, and I just was this guy that was, like, thinking I was going to go into business. And then at 17 years old, I encountered Jesus. I get this call to ministry. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just doing ministry. But there's always been this thing inside me that's like, ah, I have this wiring for a reason. And so later in life, we dive into full-time ministry, but I couldn't, at a Bible college, get a job for some reason right away. They're like, hey, uh, you have no experience. We don't really want you to be full-time in our youth ministry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm like figuring out how do I get my foot in the door? You know what I'm talking about? Like, how do you just like put your foot out there? And so what I did was I said, hey, I will run your junior high ministry. I'll work for free 35 hours a week. I had a wife and a kid at the time. How many of you know that's not a good long-term plan? Okay, that's not, that's not like a sustainable model, right? And so I'm sitting here going, okay, so I'm going to work 35 hours a week, but in order to do what I felt like God was asking me and calling me to do, I knew I had to figure out a way to make some extra income. So my wife at the time was working as a web and graphic designer. She's amazing at it. And so I was like, hey, uh, what if instead of you working for this guy, we start a company, we work for ourselves. I'll sell You'll do the graphics, you'll do the web design, I'll manage the client interactions, let's start a business. So I went down to Secretary of State, right, paid my 50 bucks to Texas LLCs, got my Texas LLC, and we started this little company called Exusia Design. Started building this business, and, and how many know starting a business is hard? Starting a business is, is not easy. What I learned in that season is that starting a business from scratch, the initial days are full of uncertainty, they are full of struggle, and you're like, man, the budget is tight, clients are few, the future is murky, but it's in these moments of desperation that it pushes you to rely on God, right? 
And so I remember praying, God, would you just bring me a customer? Give me one person. Give me one website, right? Give me one uh, marketing partner. Find me somebody, God. And I would just pray and pray. But gradually, as God answered those prayers and as the business started picking up, right, the profits start rolling in, the future looks brighter and brighter. And at the same time as the future looks brighter and brighter, the feeling or the sense of self-reliance also grows stronger and stronger as time went on. You see, it's natural when the business is, is failing, right? When resources are few and scarce and when the light at the end of the tunnel is dim, it's natural to go to Jesus. It's natural to ask for help. It's natural to be in such a place of desperation. You're like, God, I just need you to come through. However, it is much harder to keep up that same level of faith when the business is thriving, when your pipeline is full, when the future looks bright, the wind's at your back and the sea ahead looks smooth. It's much harder to trust Jesus. It's easy to go all in when I'm struggling, when I need help, when I'm in a tight spot or, or a rough place in my life. It's easy to ask for help. It's, it's easy to say, hey, your will be done, not mine, when your will got you in a rough spot. But it's harder when things are going well, when the business is thriving, when the kids are behaving, and when it seems like my will actually got me into a pretty good place. It's harder to trust Jesus when I fall for the lie and think that I have created the good things that I'm experiencing on my own. These are the moments in life when I believe Jesus calls us and says, hey, I need you to go all in with me. I need you to go all in here. And we're like, why? Why should I? Like, I've got it all. Why, why would I go all in with you? I got, not that we would really actually say that to Jesus, but that's our, oftentimes our life's posturing. We may not say, why would I? But at the same time, we're living a life that says, why would I go all in with you, Jesus, when look at the life that I've built? Look at the life that I have. Look at what I've done on my own. And we think that it's all us. And so we live with this kind of posture towards God. We're afraid if we push in all of our chips in the center, that we have to give it all to Jesus and that we may lose it all. We're afraid that he's gonna ask us to leave our four-bed, two-and-a-half bath house to move to Africa and be a missionary. Right, we're, we're afraid, as if that's such a bad thing, right? And then we're afraid that he's gonna ask us, God forbid, to have people over for dinner and have to be a neighbor, right? We're, we're afraid of him calling us to be generous with our finances. We're afraid of him asking us to actually serve in church and not just attend, to actually be a part of the body and to help build and, and create atmospheres and spaces for other people to encounter Jesus. We're a little afraid that he may convict us of our greed and our materialism and our selfishness. We're a little afraid that he may tell us we actually have to share our faith with strangers and that our faith isn't personal, it's corporate. And then we're supposed to tell other people about it. We're afraid that he may convict us and change the way that we live. And the reality is he's, he will. He, he will. He will change the way you live. He will change everything about you. And you're like, well, I, I don't know if I want that. The reality is he's going to ask for everything. He doesn't ask for part of your heart. He asks for all of your heart. He doesn't ask for part of your life. He asks for all of your life. And when it comes down to it, I think for some of us, we, we don't want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We don't want to go all in because we see Jesus as a threat to what we have. We, we see Jesus as a risk to our desires rather than the fulfillment of them. And so we start to look at things, and so for the next few minutes, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about what will keep us as a church from fulfilling the mission of our church, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, to encourage, equip, empower others to fully devote themselves to following Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, you can write this down as the title, just write fully devoted, fully devoted. 
If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. Luke 18, 18 through 30. If you've got your digital Bibles, scroll there with me. Oftentimes when we're diving into the Bible, into the Word, we're often going to be in moments where we're looking at people that were fully devoted to Jesus. We're, we're celebrating people that made the right call, that, that gave their lives to follow him. We're celebrating people like Matthew who left his tax booth to follow Jesus. We're celebrating people like Peter, James, and John who, who left their nets behind, right, who dropped their nets, symbolizing leaving their, their livelihoods, their family business, everything they knew to go and follow Jesus, leaving home to follow Jesus. We're celebrating these stories. We're excited about them. We preach about them. But today that's not what we're doing. We're not going to look at a story of someone who gave everything to follow Jesus. We're going to look at someone who didn't. We're going to look at a story of someone who felt like they not only didn't, but they, they couldn't because it felt like to this individual that the stakes were too high to follow Jesus. It felt like too much of a risk to what he had in his own hands to go all in and be fully devoted to Jesus. So today we're asking the question, what will keep us from being fully devoted to Jesus? What will keep us from going all in? Because some of you are here this morning and you're unsure if Jesus is really a safe bet in your life. You're uncertain if this Jesus thing is really for you. And so in many ways, you've gone all in. You put all your chips in the world. You might be here because it's easy community for you to plug in. There's a lot of people here. You might be here, but, but really your heart's with the world. And then for others of you, you're kind of hedging your bets. You put a little bit of investment into the world and a little bit into the church, and you're trying to straddle this line between the two. And you think you're winning the game, but you're really losing both. And you're in this space where you're trying to figure out, what direction do I do? Can I just live here? And you can't. And you can't. So let's, let's just go here with me for just a moment. What does it look like to go all in with Jesus? That is our question. We're going to look at three things today using the story of the rich young ruler found in Luke 18. Just for context, uh, to, to bring a little bit more understanding to this passage we're about to look at. Uh, it also shows up in, in the other Gospels. We see it in Mark chapter 10. We see it in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, and it's awesome because they, they, they differ slightly in between each of these passages. Well, why would that be? Why would they differ? Well, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the Gospels, right, written as individuals that were part of Jesus's crew. They were following Jesus. They were uh, disciples. And they are going to write from their own individual perspectives and lens. So every time we're looking at the Gospels, we're looking at a lens of, of somebody else's eyes of how they saw the life of Jesus in walking with him. And so what we're going to see here is some small nuances, but when we cross-reference them and we begin to study these texts together, what we'll see is a fuller image and fuller picture of the story of the rich young ruler. And so that's really what the Gospels are, right? Show us these three different interactions. So they have slight differences in the stories, but Matthew's Gospel points out that he is a young man, a young man. And the word in the Greek that's used there would indicate that his age was somewhere between 25 and 40 years old, which is many of you in the room. Somewhere between 25 and 40 years old of age, right? And so he is exceedingly wealthy, we learn from the text. We know that he is a ruler of some kind. Now commentators will disagree here a little bit on whether he was a religious ruler, uh, like part of the Sanhedrin, or whether he was just simply an economic ruler, someone like a business mogul who had built somewhat of an empire, right, where it has great wealth and great influence because of that wealth. And so there's some disagreement there. But regardless, from an earthly perspective, this young man has what everyone else wants. Like he's got it all. He's got all the wealth he could ever need. He's got the power. He's got the authority. And yet, the Bible is clear that he is not satisfied with what he has. 
And so he runs to Jesus, he's pressing through the crowd, and Mark's gospel will show us that he actually falls down on his knees before Jesus. So here he is, and he asks this very pointed question of Jesus. And let's read it from Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, the word he uses for good here is the word agathos, which means like intrinsically good. And so, so he's pointing out to him as, as he says, hey, no one is good but God. So what he's trying to say is, hey, if you're calling me God, you got it right. But if you're saying that man can be intrinsically good on his own, you got it wrong. And, and so, so we get here, and it says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. So he got the same invitation that Peter, James, and John got, to be a disciple. It's a big invite. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What's impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we've all left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning, church? Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. Lord, would you speak to us out of Luke 18? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us? Would you equip us to be fully devoted followers of you? May we learn from the examples of those who have done it right and the examples of those who have done it wrong. Would you help us to follow you and to let go of anything that would hold us back from stepping into your calling and your will with everything that we have? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear whatever it is you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Hey, man, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, self-reliance will keep you from being fully devoted to Jesus. Self-reliance will keep you from being fully devoted to Jesus. And the city is important for us to remember in today's day and age, especially important for us in our city, in the city of Boise, because we have a lot of people in our city. We're surrounded by people all over the place that would say, hey, I'm going to be my own king. I'm going to build my own empire. I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to pave my own way. I'm going to chart my own course. I'm going to boss, babe, my way to the top so that everyone knows that I made it. I'm going to build my own kingdom. There's a lot of people in our city that have this, this self-dependency, self-reliance, this I'm going to chart my own course attitude. They're, they're, they're all over the place. And that's really the attitude that this young man has. And so this young man asks this question, though, because he's chased all of this and he's, he's found it. But he still feels like, man, there's something else. And so he asks this question, how do I inherit eternal life? And he's met with Jesus 
quoting the commandments here. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time that I read this, it's like he, you've got to realize this. Like, read this text. Like, he, he, he quotes the commandments after he says, how do I inherit eternal life? This is Jesus. It's like, man, you missed a layup here, bro. Like, this is, this is evangelism 101. Like, if, that's what I, I pray for as a pastor. I wish somebody would just ask, how do I inherit eternal life? Believe in Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried in the ground, who rose from the dead and ascended and is seated at the right hand with God. Believe that he really died for your sins. Come on, like it's the gospel. Like this should, this should be Jesus like, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to go here, and this is what's going to happen. And then you're going to believe in me. We're going to be in a relationship. It's going to be awesome. But he misses it. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's, he's sharing the commandments. It's like, didn't you come to fulfill that? Right? But here's what he's trying to point out here. Because we sit here and we're like, why would he do that? He's trying to highlight something. And let me, let me point it out to you today. Can you get to heaven by keeping the commandments? Yes. Can you keep all of the commandments? No. That's where you say no. Right? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm perfect. Right? <laughs> but like, no, you can't. You could hypothetically keep all the commandments, keep the law perfectly, and find your way into heaven. But can you do it? No. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, sin has tainted our lives. We can't. We can't do it. And so if you're here today and you're just like playing religious games, you're playing the game of perception management where you're like, man, I'm going to show up to church and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to call myself a Christian. I'm going to call myself a believer. But at the same time, God's not really in control. I'm in control. I chart my course. I do my life. I do what I want to do. I live the way I want to live. I follow the scriptures that I want to follow. I act like God's in charge. But I'm really in charge. What's going to happen is you're going to live your 75, 80 years here on this earth, and you're going to come to the end of the life that you live, and you're going to go to hell. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to come to the gross realization that you are not good, that you're not good enough. You're going to come to this realization that I thought I could just do enough that I could earn my way to heaven, that I could just do enough good things, enough good deeds, and by my merit, by my own work, that I could get my way to heaven. And so we get in this moment, and we see this interaction. What Jesus is really trying to highlight is that we're focusing on the wrong works. We're focusing on our works. When he's saying, hey, no, you, you can't get there by your works. You can only get there by mine. It's Jesus' works that gets us in the kingdom. It's trusting in those works. And that's what he's trying to highlight. And so maybe you've heard this question proposed before, but if I was to walk up to you in the lobby after service, and we're going to have a conversation out in the connect area, if you and I are sitting there talking, and, and what if I asked you, if you stood before God today and he said, why should I let you in, what would you say? What would you say? Because for so many of us, we, we just go straight to I. Well, well, I, no. Well, well, I believe, no. Well, I, well, I was a good person. Well, I did this. Well, I served in church. I didn't miss a Sunday. Well, we go to I, I, I. No. You nothing. It's because of God. Because God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for you as a spotless, blameless lamb, to, to take the, the sin of the world on him, on his shoulders, to remove it from you, to take your defilement, your brokenness, and give you purity, and give you healing, and give you wholeness. 
It's because of God. And so if we're standing before God in this hypothetical conversation and he says, why should I let you in? It's not because I did anything. It's, God, I, I, I don't deserve to get in. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I'm broken. But because you, God, made a way for me through your son Jesus by having him die on the cross for me, you said that I could get what he deserved because he took what I deserved. That's why you should let me in. And for so many people, that's their first response, though. They go to, well, it's I, I, I. It's because I did this. Well, let me just say this. Good people go to hell. But, but people who realize their need, their, their poverty, right, their need for God's grace, they receive his grace. They receive it. I love the passage just before this scripture in our text. Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. So just right before the rich young ruler. Luke 18, 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him so that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him saying, hey, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So to answer the question, we, we just go back a few verses. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You must receive. So heaven comes to us, friends, like a gift. Heaven's a gift. And what's funny is so many times, like, children, they, they understand this. Adults, you hate getting gifts, all right? You're like, you're like I like it, but I don't want to open it in front of all of you, right? You know? And so... It's funny because, like, you go, you approach an adult about this same kind of concept, and they'll say things like, hey, like, we're letting you know, hey, it's a free gift of salvation. It's not by works. And, and you're over here like, man, I'm trying, pastor. You ever said something like that before? Man, I'm trying. But, but, but it's a gift. Speaking of gift, I have a gift for you guys. I got some Oasis merch. Anyone want an Oasis hat out there? You want an Oasis hat? Anybody? All right, come on up. Come get the hat. Yeah, come on. All right, this is for you. I want you to try and take it. Come on, try. Try to take it. No, no, try. <laughs> try to take the gift. Come on, try. I, no, no, you keep, you're not listening. Try, just try. Yeah, yeah, you see, the problem is, is that I'm going to go Master Yoda on here. There is no try, there is only do. The, the, the problem is, is that there is no trying to take a gift. You either take it or you reject it. Either he's going to take this gift or he's going to reject the gift, and I'm going to keep it. There is no try. But there's so often, you can take, give it up for him. Thanks for helping me out. But so often, for you and I, we get stuck in this place in the middle where we're like, well, I'm just, I'm trying. You're trying. You either receive the grace of God or you reject the grace of God. You don't, you don't try. But this so often is the attitude and the approach. Let me give you scripture. Ephesians 2, chapter, eight, or chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of? You can't rely on yourself. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't serve enough. You can't do uh, enough charitable work, enough good things to get your way to heaven, friends. Let me tell you something. Self-reliance will keep you from being a fully devoted follower 
of Jesus. Number two, if you're taking notes, materialism will keep you from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So I think it's important for us to understand as we approach this text, the heart of Jesus behind it. Because at surface level reading, if we were just to look at this text, it might seem that Jesus was just trying to like hit this guy where it hurt, right? It's like this guy is like, you know, he's a good guy. Like there's nothing here that says that he was a bad person. In fact, he says that he's kept all these things from the time he was young. That he kept the law. He's saying, hey, man, like, I've done all these things. Like, I've honored my mother and father. I've not coveted uh, my neighbor's stuff. Like, I'm, not, I'm a good person. So he's not a bad guy. He's actually a really morally good guy. He's, he's wealthy. He, so we're looking at this guy, and we're like, man, Jesus seems to just be, like, sucker punching him with this whole, hey, you still lack one thing, bro, right? It's almost like, you know, he, they, he's trying to make him sad, right? You know, and so he goes, watch this, watch this, right? And he's, like, tells him, all right, so give away all your things and give it to the poor. And he's like, <laughs> you said, right? You know, it's like he's trying to like sucker bunch him, but it's not what's happening here. It's not what's happening. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Let's look at another perspective on this story. Mark's perspective, Mark chapter 10, 21 through 22. And Jesus, looking at him, say it with me, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And what? Come in follow me. Disheartened by the saying, (laughs) disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Was Jesus hitting him where it hurt? Yes. Was he intending to? No. Kind of. But really, he's not trying to hurt him, right? What was he trying to do? He was trying to help him. He wasn't trying to hurt him. Trying to help him. So often we think when God's calling us to things or asking us to leave something behind, we're like, man, God's just trying to hurt me. God's trying to do this. No, he's trying to help you. He's trying to keep you away from something that leads to death. And we're like, man, but God, this just hurts. Yes, hurt a little bit now or hurt eternally forever. He's trying to help you. He saw the idol in his life and Jesus exposed it. This is a habitual pattern of Jesus in one-on-one conversations throughout the Gospels. He sees an idol and he calls it for what it is. Woman at the well. Hey, you don't have a husband. You're right. You spoke that truly. For you have had five husbands and the one you're living with right now ain't your husband. He starts calling out idols of the heart. It's what he does. And so he calls out this idol and he tells him, let it go. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor, be generous, give it. He calls him to let it go, and he couldn't let go. I don't know if we got any water skiers or wakeboarders in the house, any wakeboarders? Uh, okay, wake surfers, all right, and I'll count you too. All right, uh, kneeboarders, that's me. I'm a kneeboarding guy. Anyone a kneeboarder? Okay, you're my people. Thank you, a few of you. You guys actually know how to have fun. And so I remember being a kneeboarder and trying to learn, and, and I, my parents took me out on a friend's boat, and, and so I'm a like, little guy. I don't even remember how old I was, probably nine years old, ten years old. And uh, they put me on the kneeboard, and they're like, all right, so what you're going to do, you got the rope, you're going to put it on top of the board, you're going to lay on the board, we're going to get up the plane, and once we get up the plane, you're going to get up on your knees, strap the thing, and I'm like, piece of cake, no problem. And they're like, okay, buddy, well, if you get scared, you know, you can just let go, just let go of the rope if things go haywire. And I'm like, you think I'm going to let go of the rope? excuse me? I'm Landon Hairgrove, okay? Courage is my middle name, all right? I'm not letting go of the rope. And so I remember, like, getting up there, and they're starting to pull me out to play, and I'm like, this is awesome, right? And I didn't realize the balance is a lot harder than it looks when you're watching somebody. And so I'm trying to get up. I'm trying to scoot, and the board's going kind of back and forth. And, and all of a sudden, as I'm trying to get the strap and do it, I lean a little too far down. My edge goes down, and I dive under the water, boom, like that. And I did not let go of the rope. Now, what people failed to tell 
was not just like, hey, if you get scared, let go. They didn't tell me you're going to be waterboarded if you don't let go. Okay, and so I'm going under the water. Water's going through my mouth and my eyelids are falling over the place. And I'm going, I, I'm going to drown. And now I'm going too fast and I'm too scared to let go of the rope. So now I'm just, you know. And whoever has the flag in the back, okay, you guys need to pay more attention because no one stopped the boat. Okay, we're going 35 miles an hour, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die. But no, what's funny is so often in life, we kind of approach Jesus with this same kind of way where we do the same thing because of our stubbornness, because of our pride. They're like, hey, let go of the rope. Jesus is saying, let go of the rope. This is going to lead you to death. It's going to lead you to demise. It's going to lead you to destruction. You're going to drown. And we're like, no. We're too stubborn. We're too prideful. And we won't let go of the thing that's literally leading us to death. We won't let it go. Luke 18, 24 through 25, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Some people theorize that it could mean that there was a, a gate called the needle gate. Uh, it would have been small for security purposes. And the only way to get through this gate and the wall in Jerusalem would be to get a camel on its knees and have it crawl through there. The problem with this theory, if you've ever heard that taught before, is it's not true. There is no historical context out there that would say, there's no historical evidence that would point to the reality of the needle gate being a thing. This, this gate never existed. There's no history that would prove that this gate really existed. Not only that, why would a sane camel worker ever try to make his camel crawl on his knees through a little tiny gate when there's plenty of other gates in Jerusalem to get to the wall, right? And, and so this is what he's trying to say. The reality is, is that Jesus was using hyperbole here, right? Jesus was trying to say a, a very clear message of it's impossible for anyone to be saved by their own merits or by what they do. It's It's impossible. He, he's saying that it would be easier for Boise to get an NFL team than for a rich person to go to heaven. He's saying it would be easier to not hit traffic on Eagle at 5 p.m. than for a rich person to go to the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to happen. And since this was written in a Jewish context, we have to understand that at this time, there was a, a sense of almost a prosperity uh, theology at the time where, where these, these rabbis would actually teach that the proof of God's approval, it was often like uncommonly taught by rabbis, that, the, that rich people were blessed by God and therefore more likely to be candidates to go to heaven. So there's this prosperity gospel that's already kind of done its thing, even in the early church. And so this man is morally good. He's a rule follower. He would have been seen as blessed by God because of this you know, prosperity kind of theology happening. But Jesus absolutely destroys this notion destroys it, and along with it, the idea that anyone can earn their way into eternal life. So Jesus makes this shocking statement about a camel going through the eye of a needle, and, and the disciples, I believe, have a very appropriate response here because it says that they were utterly amazed and said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? If the wealthy among them, which included the super spiritual Pharisees and scribes, were unworthy of heaven, what hope was there for a poor man? In their eyes, who can be saved? And Jesus' answer is the basis of the gospel. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, good people go to hell, but God's people go to heaven. 
let me just get real applicable for you this morning and just ask, what are the idols in your life that you're holding on to that you're unwilling to let go of that's holding you back from being fully devoted to Jesus? What are those things that are keeping you from experiencing the fullness of joy, the riches of relationship, and everything that God has to offer to you? What is holding you back? What is Jesus asking you for? Mark 8, 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But it's really common for people to just hear the gospel and sit back and think, well, man, if I follow Jesus, that means i got to stop doing this. As if there's any comparison there. And it's like, man, I just don't know if I want to change. I don't know if I want to give up. Fill in the blank. I don't know if I want to give up having sex with my girlfriend. I don't know if I want to give up partying. I don't know if I want to give up being a workaholic and chasing after the money. I don't know if I want to give up my possessions. I don't know if I want to actually be generous. I don't know if I actually... Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What don't you want to give up? Insert your sin struggle in that blank. Partying, money, work, alcohol, sex, whatever it is for you. I mean, let me just give you an illustration. And for our purposes, let's say I'm having a conversation. Say it's a male. And I tell him, hey, if you have sex with your girlfriend one more time, you're going to be eternally tortured forever. He'd be like, oh, God. Keep her away from me, right? But, but what if I said, but if you abstain, I'll give you a billion dollars and unfathomable riches and pleasure greater than anywhere. This is a ridiculous. You'd be like, tell me more, right? Like all of a sudden, this conversation, I know this is a ridiculous hypothetical conversation, but let me just ask you this, because here's the reality. This question that I just proposed, this is ridiculous, it's crazy, but I'm trying to point out, we don't have a behavior problem, we have a belief problem. We, we, we don't realize, we forget how costly our sin is against a holy God. And oftentimes we don't realize just how good the goodness of Jesus really is. And so all of a sudden we're, we're sitting here and we're holding on to something because, listen, torture and a billion dollars don't even come close to describing the horrors of hell or the glory of heaven. Not even close. And sex in and of itself does not keep somebody out of heaven, but the belief that sex is better than Jesus that having premarital sex and doing your thing is more fulfilling than following Jesus. That will keep you out of heaven. That's what I'm trying to point out to. And the belief that you're holding on to this thing that you won't let go of is going to keep you out of heaven. And hear me, I'm not trying to put shame on you. Please don't hear that. If you're like, man, he's just trying to shame me. I had sex before I was married. I was the guy that was drinking and partying and hitting it up. I was the guy that thought I could live a little bit in the world and live a little bit in in, in kind of a faith, right? I believed in God, but I was partying. I was crazy. I was fighting all the time. That's who I was. I was the guy that's going to flip you off just so we could fight. I was that guy. And I'm living in this thing, so I'm not trying to shame you because here's the deal. I encountered Jesus at 17 years old. Not not just the Jesus of, of, of Scripture. No, no, Jesus. I encountered Jesus. I remember feeling him in the room. I remember reading the scriptures and having it come alive and it not just be an ancient text, but this book began to read me as much as I was reading it. And all of a sudden, man, I gave my life to Jesus and I repented and I turned away and I began to make a shift in my life and I turned away from the life that I was living and I turned towards Christ at 17 years old. And I've been on a journey since then. And I want you to understand today, I want you to understand that you have the same opportunity. No shame. 
you can turn away from all that and turn towards Jesus today in this room right now. You can make that decision in your heart to follow after Jesus, but it starts with admitting your need for help, that you are not self-sufficient, that you actually need a savior, that you are broken and you are a sinner and you've made mistakes, but you are not defined by your mistakes because you can put your faith in a God that separates your sin as far as the east is from the west, a God that forgives us not partially but totally. And the first time that we don't have to come and beg for his forgiveness and his healing again and again and again. But we can come to a loving father who says, I'm going to wipe it away. And you can watch as shame rolls off you like water off your body. And all of a sudden you'll begin to feel the kind of love that you've never felt. The kind of forgiveness that you've never experienced. And it will change your life. For this man, he couldn't give it up. See, following Jesus, it, it will cost you something. It will, but not following Jesus, friends, it will cost you everything. So this man, he he couldn't give up his wealth. He was so greedy, so materialistic, he just couldn't let it. See, the idea that it's trying to portray to us is, hey, whatever you think you have, whatever you own that you can't give away, you don't own it, it owns you. It owns you. You think you own it, but it owns you. And so today, I have to love you enough to say that if you're holding on to something that's holding you back from fully following Jesus, friend, that's foolish. It's stupid. It's not wise. Let it go. Let it go. All of our possessions, all of our wealth, all of our influence, everything that we have, we can't take it with us when we go. I think we forget that sometimes. But we can't take it with us. You can't take your four-bed, two-bath house. Some of y'all are too small. Seven bed. Okay? You can't take it with you. You can't take your Porsche. You can't take your Range Rover. You can't take your diamond ring, your earrings. You can't take it. Your 401K, your IRA, you can't take it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So self-reliance will keep you from fully devoting yourself to following Jesus. Materialism will keep you from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And number three, ignorance will keep you from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Luke chapter 18, 28 through 30, last two verses. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Let let me just close with this story. Brooke and I were on an airplane recently and um, man, we were, I don't even remember where we were flying to, but, you know, I got all three kids with me, okay? You know, three kids, a plane, danger, right? And um, <laughs> we're sitting down, and we got the kids, and they're crawling all over the place, right? Because that's what they do, right? So Kaya's a lap child, right? So she's just sitting on our laps, but she ain't jumping on my lap. She's climbing over my shoulders and looking over the seats. And these college girls come, and they sit right behind us. And so when they sit down, uh, they start to say these comments. Ah. Oh, 
We have to sit behind kids, except for they use some language that's not appropriate for this context. And, and so they're saying this, and as a dad, I want to turn around and tell them some comments of my own. But you'd be proud of your pastor. I didn't. I, I, I had self-control. Come on, I, I had a city with walls, somebody, Proverbs, okay. And, and so I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm so good. Jesus, I love them, forgive them. I'm going to preach the gospel to them, right? And so I'm sitting there. But in my mind, I'm just thinking, man, if they only knew. If they only knew how good it is to hold your child for the first time in that hospital room and to look at your wife and see what you brought into the world. If they only knew how good it was to watch your child take their first steps. If they only knew how good it was to wrestle with your boys on the living room floor. If they only knew how good it was to watch your little girl's hair get long enough you can finally put it in piggy tails. Or when they're sad and they're hurting and they're teething and big crocodile tears are rolling down their face to watch them lay their head on your shoulder at night. If they only knew. So friends, if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, if you only knew. If you only knew how good it was to be loved by someone that will never leave you, that will never forsake you, that will never abandon you. If you only knew how good it was to truly be forgiven, not just in word, but in deed. To, to experience, like I said, that shame that you've carried for years from your guilt, from your mistakes, or maybe something that's done to you, and to have that shame wash away, to have that weight lifted off your shoulders and to be set free. If you only knew how good it felt to not be chained to those addictions anymore, to not be controlled by a substance, not be controlled by images. If you only knew how good it was to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, friends, it's better than you could ever imagine. And that's why I'm here today is just to simply to tell you these things. It is better than you could ever imagine. And so whatever you're holding on to, whatever's the thing that you don't want to let go of that we see in this text, let it go. If we had to really break down an application here of what, what is he trying to say when he says, give it all. Sell all you have and give it all. What, what he's saying is just give sacrificially. That's our application here. Friends, give sacrificially. Well, well Pastor Landon, I tithe. That's awesome. You've, you've met the Old Testament commandment. That's awesome. But the New Testament commandment is give until it hurts. And that's your resources, that's your finances, that's your life, that's your home. It's, it's opening up your life, giving everything you have for the cause of Christ. Because sometimes we sit and we think that, well, I'm just going to hit this bar. Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to show up to church, I'm going to maybe do one little thing here, and I'm going I'm to tithe so I at least hit the, the Old Testament, right, this kind of minimum. Or, or, or we start to realize, man, Jesus, he didn't just tithe his blood on the cross. He shed it all. He, he shed it all for us. It's when we start to actually realize he sacrificed everything. Like, like he gave it all up. 
And so he's challenging us to live sacrificially, to, to give until it hurts, to be uncomfortable, to serve, to, to, to serve people, to, to give up our resources, to open up our home, to use everything we have, leverage it all for the kingdom of God and for Jesus, everything he's entrusted to us because that is what Jesus did. And I think we miss it in this text, but the reality is the rich young ruler is not this young man who was unable to give up his possessions. The real rich young ruler was Jesus. He's the one with a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one with everything. He's the one who perfectly kept every one of the commandments that he listed. He perfectly kept the law. And then he died in our place, sacrificing everything, giving everything to the poor. Who's the poor? It's you and it's me, us in spiritual poverty. Those poor in spirit. And he gave himself for us. He's the rich young ruler. He is the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. Everything that we think that we have and the life we think we've built, what he is offering to you is so much greater. And you would be a fool to say, I'm happy with this little thing in my hand when what he has behind his back is infinitely greater than what you could ever imagine. And so I'm, I'm challenging you today. Friends, this is the gospel. This is all that we got. That's the only way we're getting in is by following Jesus, is by not relying on ourselves, but relying on him. And so in summary, we must fully rely on the finished work of Jesus. We have to be able to go all in by letting go of what's in our hands, letting go of what we have, and by understanding, not being ignorant of the benefits of following him and that they far outweigh the cost. Far outweigh. That's how we become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's how we do it. So if we're going to reach our city, I'm going to speak to the Christians in the room for one moment. If we're going to reach our city, we have to be fully devoted. If we want to fulfill our mission to help other people, to encourage, equip, and empower other people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, we have to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We have to model sacrificial generosity in every area of our lives. We have to live with open hands. We have to live with the attitude that says, here I am, Lord, send me, use me, call me. Whatever I have to give up to follow you, I'm giving it up. I'm leaving it here, and I'm walking out without it today. And now I want to speak to those in the room that aren't Christians. If you only knew, and you have an opportunity to know today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, what I'd like to do is give you an opportunity right now to just say that, hey, I would like to make that decision and allow us to pray with you. And so I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. It's nothing about raising your hand that saves you. It's just simply a way for me to know, hey, is this resonating with you? Who am I praying with this day? God loved you so much, he sent his only son to die on a cross for you so you'd be forgiven and set free. He took on defilement so you could take on purity. He took on brokenness so you could take on wholeness. He took on your sin so you could take on forgiveness. And so you could be put back into right relationship with God the way that God originally intended it in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned and fell. And so there's a free gift of grace that's offered to you here today and you can't earn it and you don't deserve it, but God is saying it's yours and you can't try. You can either take it or you can reject it. To take it says, I, I wanna live eternally with God to say that I want to be made right, I want to follow him, I want to turn away from these things, I want to let go of what's in my hands, and I want to follow you. And to reject it means, man, to spend eternity separated with him. 
It's not trying to be manipulative or rude. I'm telling you the truth because I love you. If you want to follow Jesus today and take that step of a relationship with him, on the count of three, would you just raise your hands? One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up nice and high? I see you. I see you in the middle on the left. It's awesome. Anybody else? I don't want to miss you. It's awesome. I see you. I see you as well. Thank you. It's awesome. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. It's the best decision you could ever make. Church, let's pray this prayer together. There's nothing special or magical about this prayer, just simply a heart declaration saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If that's you, just pray this with me all, all together as a church. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you. I accept your sacrifice on the cross so I could be forgiven and healed. Thank you for dying for me and help me to live for you every day from this point forward. Help me to let go of what's in my hand and to fully follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hey, we're gonna sing in just a moment. And as we do, as we declare this song, as we declare the praise of Jesus and our God, let me, let me just say this. In our hearts, many of us, myself included, have areas that we still are working on. And we need God's grace. And we need his kindness and we need his mercy. And so I'm gonna ask you in this song, as we sing in praise, can we also reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to search us and to show us, is there anything in my hands that I'm not letting go of? Is there anything in my hands that I'm unwilling to let go of and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to let it go. Because all of us have a little bit of rich young ruler in us. I think more than many of us would like to admit. And let's ask Jesus to root that thing out of us and to help us be fully devoted to following him so we can see a city that's fully devoted to following Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for this story. I thank you that you would convict our hearts. Show us where we have the rich young ruler in our heart, where we have that same attitude, that same spirit, that same thing that says, I want to hold on to this. I want to clutch that. I want to, I don't want to let it go. God, would you give us the grace and the divine enablement, empowerment to let it go and to fully follow you? Would you help us, God, to not be stuck in our ways, not stuck in a sense of self, not stuck in selfishness and self-reliance, but God, would you help us to let go of materialism, to let go of greed, to let go of lust, God, to let go of all these things that would hold us back from following you. Help us, Lord, to not be ignorant of the gift that you've offered. We love you and we praise you. We honor you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.